Well, hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 102. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, today's guest is Ace Bogus, and we'll be joining with him at the quarter of the hour, about 15 minutes from now. But before we begin, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do this because we love poetry, and I know you do too. So please do click the like button and share and all that good stuff so that you can help poetry spread around the internet. Now, as always, we're going to start out with uh, Poetry Spawn Live a little bit, and we'll talk to uh, today's poet that we published. And there was this very interesting poem about a very interesting article. Angie Minkin wrote um, 50 Words. And let's call up Angie right now to start the show. Hello. Hey, Angie, you are live on the air with the Rattlecast. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, you know, your poem today, 50 Words, was one of the poems. It's, it's the kind of poem that I imagined we'd be publishing a lot of um, when I started Poets Respond over seven years ago now. Because um, it's, it's such an interesting story that people might not have heard. And to sort of immortalize that into a poem is something that's really worth doing, I think. Um, do you want to explain, first of all, um, a little bit about what ins- the story that inspired this poem? Sure. Um, you know, uh, I live in San Francisco, and in our local paper, the San Francisco Chronicle, there was a short article about doctors at the University of California in San Francisco who were working with a patient who had been paralyzed since the age of 20 after um, a terrible car accident and then a stroke. Um, And they had been working to help him regain a kind of speech um, in that uh, they figured out how to implant uh, a sensor in his brain and electrodes would pick up sort of residual or forgotten movements in his vocal tract and translate that into words on a computer screen. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Um, and then there was an, uh, an article in the New York Times that went into more depth and um, actually a radio show on um, our local uh, PBS channel. Uh, because everyone that I've talked to is just fascinated by this story, which just seems so miraculous. Yeah, it really does. Um, and, and I also thought it was interesting, too, because um, in, in, from a poetry perspective, because one of the things that's interesting about poetry is that when you read uh, language, you're using those same, even if you read to yourself, if you sub-vocalize, you're using those same muscles um, I remember reading a paper about this 20 years ago, maybe. But you're using the same muscles that you would be if you were speaking as you're reading silently to yourself. And you just sort of shut off the connection to your mouth. And so, yeah. um, and that's the way that when you read a poem, you end up like inhabiting the speaker. Like the speaker becomes you, even if you don't read it out loud, which has always been fascinating to me. But then to use this same, these same, these same muscle neural um, network um, to regain speech is just amazing. Yeah, it really is. It's so amazing. And and I just started thinking about, well, what words would I want, you know? And um, I love that they worked with this patient and he was such an integral part of the team to come up with words that were meaningful to him. Um, 
it's like, just imagine how wonderful it would be to sort of move from using, a, you know, a pointer attached to mm-hmm. a baseball hat that is so um, onerous to something that, you know, is, is a lot uh, faster. Yeah. Plus, yeah. Um, uh, this patient is actually the same age as my son. So, you know, I just felt this connection and I agree about poet. Well, poetry is words, right? It's language. We're so connected to language and what it means. And um, as you say, Tim, when, when we read out loud or even when we're reading silently, uh, it, it just does something. And when we read poems aloud, it has a, a whole other meaning, I think, a deeper meaning. Mm-hmm. So, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk anything about um, how this poem was constructed? I mean, mm-hmm. like imagining the, those 50 words seems to be the impetus, and then you kind of rolled from it with there. Is that how I imagine it? Is that accurate? That That is truly accurate. Uh, you know, it's so funny because I, I um, wrote this poem very, very quickly. It just kind of poured out of me um, and uh, I, I submitted to you guys often, <laughs> you know, poems that I've anguished over and, and this one um, just came and I thought, all right, well, I, I think this is, I think this is a poet's response poem. Let me send it off. Let's see what happens. Well, that's great. Well, I'm so glad you didn't and you keep sending them. Uh, it's just amazing when the magic happens, you know, and it really does sometimes. It, it does. It's true. When the muse is with you, it's wonderful. So, uh, do you, do you thank you ahead? so much. Yeah, do you want to go ahead and read it? I would love to. Thank you. 50 words for Pancho. Imagine 50 words to describe your world, to define yourself, your heart. Imagine your thoughts trapped like thousands of blue jays caught in a too small cage wings battering iron bars. Imagine no movement, decades of stillness. You are inside this body, this corset of bones and muscles, black, useless. You move your head and neck in residual ticks, hunt and peck so slowly it hurts you, but you persevere. You type and you learn English, you learn French, you graduate from high school, all this after your accident at age 20, all this after your devastating stroke, all this after you can no longer move. Imagine brilliant doctors who implant a sensor in your brain and those 128 electrodes pick up forgotten movements of your vocal cords your larynx, your throat. Imagine a cable like a new umbilical cord linking your brain to the computer that starts writing words, your words. The algorithm learns as you do, and suddenly you have 50 words of speech racing from your brain waves to the screen. What words do you need? Hunger. Thirst, hurt, good, bad, love, soul, heart, hug me, kiss me, family, 
perseverance, hope. Tell me you love me. Miracles. Thank you. Yeah, excellent poem. Thanks so much for that. It was 50 Words by Angie Minkin. Thanks, Angie. Thanks so much, Tim. I really appreciate it. Yeah, have a good night. Thanks for coming on. You too. Bye. Bye. Once again, that was Angie Minkin with uh, today's poem of the day. And uh, let's uh, look at the other poem that we're going to publish on Tuesday as a preview. This is from uh, Marjorie Lotfi, who was on a recent Rattlecast, maybe Rattlecast number 70-something. And um, she's a... um, let me, let me read the bio note first before we do this poem. Um, uh, Marjorie says, uh, This week, scientists have discovered a crabapple tree found on an uninhabited island off of Shetland, north of Scotland, is a pure species, never cross-pollinated with one which um, may have been there since the last ice age. It's also a mystery, the possibility of seed reaching the outer Um, Hebrides by animal or human is unlikely, the scientist said, as neither birds nor humans consume crabapples. As a person who comes from generations that moved country uh, due to war, hunger, and economic need, I've always been envious of those who claimed a place as their own and stayed. Although I know firsthand that leaving home is difficult, I'm certain that choosing to stay can be even more difficult. That was uh, Marjorie Lotfi's note, and this is her poem, Home for this crabapple tree um, that is um, a lonely crabapple tree uh, clinging to a cliffside on this mountain in the Shetlands on a little island and um, all alone. And uh, here we go. Let's hear Marjorie's take on this news story. Home. This I understand. The instinct to cling at any cost to the place you are rooted. To see another season through, though the others seed elsewhere. Your own young move with tides and summer squalls. Even in this sedentary act you push the limit. Winter becomes summer becomes winter and you are steadfast on your crag, your outcrop. You bear fruit for yourself. There is purity in solitude. No one hears your language, the shape of your limbs against a darkening sky. You question the need to grow against the wind. Despite what they say, There's no mystery in simply holding on. But what is home, if not the choice, over and over again, to stay? And that was Marjorie Lotfi with a Tuesday's poem, a preview of that, Home, about the uh, crabapple tree. And I just love that last couplet. Um, what is home if not the choice over and over again to stay? What a great, great pair of lines there. Um, that's what made the poem sing to me. And that was Marjorie Latfi with Home once again. And um, now we're going to take a quick break and jump over to today's featured guest, Ace Bodges. And um, anyway, let us take a quick break and we'll go to today's featured reader, um, Ace Bodges. 
we're back. Thanks so much for your patience as we connected with Ace Bogus. Uh, today's guest um, is, is a poet that we've published many, many times in Rattle. I'm not, I didn't even look up the number, but it might be eight or nine or so times. I'm not even sure. Um, Ace Bogus is the author of six books of poetry, including The Prisoners, Ultra Deep Field, and I Have Lost the Art of Dreaming It So, as well as the novel States of Mercy and A Song Without a Melody. He earned his BA from Marshall University and his JD from West Virginia University. He serves as senior editor at the Adirondack Review and associate editor at the Evening Street Review. His poems have appeared all over the place, and his awards include the Robert Bush Foundation Award and a fellowship from the West Virginia Commission of the Arts. He was locked up for five years in the West Virginia prison system, an experience which has been the basis for much of his writing. He currently resides in Charleston, West Virginia, and here he is, Ace Bodges. Hey, Ace, how are you doing today? Hello, Tim. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's just great to meet you after all these years. I was one of those poets that I feel like I know, even though I don't know. Like we've never met, but we've um, I've read so many of your poems over the years. Um, so it's great to, to put a face to the name. We've been trading emails for about 20 years now, I think. Yeah, we really have. We really have. Um, do you want to start out with a poem? Sure. Uh, this is my new book, uh, Escape Envy. And I'm going to start with the opening piece. I was heading for Georgia, but saw the sunrise in Virginia, the last 10 miles or so, as the interstate dripped down the side of a high top at 5% grade. Nothing but view to my left. Across the valley, I spotted that mountain shaped like a turtle, shell side and butting neck, poking its lonely head above a silk line of mist, red and orange, set along the fog's plain, like stemless blooms of roses bobbing in a pond, like candles on a silver cake. For those few minutes, I had no destination, no hotel room waiting in Columbus, no acquaintances to make. It was as though I stole a pause from life, then froze it without aid of camera's lens, before my car descended past the tree line and on into North Carolina, where it might as well be raining, and it was. And that was the opening poem. I was heading for Georgia, but saw the sunrise from Escape Envy, uh, Ace Bogus' newest book, uh, which you can see on the screen right there. Um, Ace, let's start out. Just let us know like, what your background is in writing. How did you become a poet? I know that you, um, you started out writing novels uh, and then sort of drifted toward poetry, maybe, if it could be yeah, described that, is... that way. Uh, how, does that, how did that work? That's uh, the tricky part. I've always considered myself a novelist, at least up until prison. Uh, but along the way, while I was writing these novels that weren't selling, uh, you know, I was finding agents but not publishers and, and just having all kinds of horrible luck with those. And Along the way, I was writing poems just on the side, and they were getting published. They were getting published everywhere. Uh, I mean, it's been about 30 years now, I think, I've, started publishing in 91 and the poetry has just taken off and I've, I've gotten a little better at it and I write about everything. I mean, I, I, I write poems instead of taking pictures. So hmm. whenever something happens, I, I just write about it. And the success has kind of uh, pushed me further. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk, like, what was it that drew you to be, to writing novels in the first place? Like when did you start writing those? Were you, is something you wanted to be as a kid all the time, or I mean, you were a lawyer too. So how did that? Um, you know, was well, it, was 
Yeah, when I was a kid, I uh, I would write a chapter to a novel when I was eleven or twelve, and you know it'd be it'd just be nonsense, but I would write it and then put it aside and never look at it again. And then uh, uh, when I got to college, I, I wanted to be a horror writer, so I wrote my my first horror novel uh, around eighty nine or ninety, and then I moved into more literary things after that. I uh, yeah, I, I, sp- I wrote 15 novels in 15 years. Oh, wow. Couldn't sell one of them. Uh, did you, uh, I don't know, what was it like having 15 novels? That you, did you find, like, agents and, and pitch them around? And, I mean, how? Yeah, I, I it, had an agent. It's because, for... you know, poetry is such a struggle. And, um, you, you know, like, to, to find publishers and publish books, um, but, but novels maybe even more so. Um, was that your experience? Well, I, I found an agent for three of the books out of 15. Uh, you know, I, I admit a lot of them were complete crap, but uh, some, you know, some of them, the ones that are published now, were ones that I wrote then. And uh, the agent couldn't sell them. And it was, it was really distressing to me because I had a, poet, a poetry book come out in 2003, about three years before my arrest. And I didn't see the value in it because I had all these novels floating around that weren't doing well. Meanwhile, I've got this whole other side career going that I don't even pay attention to. Uh, I mean, it it really kind of took me getting locked up to realize what I was actually doing, doing well. Uh, Do you want to read another poem? Uh, Sure, sure. Let's see. This is... uh, Escape Envy is sort of a a travel book. It's it's about freedom and my uh, the things that I've experienced since I've been out of prison. Uh, and this is called Day Trip to the Huntington Museum of Art. Grace walks by the Renoir without slowing. I follow, saying Renoir, as if I'm a boy and navigating the toy aisle at the supermarket, begging his mother and father, I want the Renoir. Can I have the Renoir, please, 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 she tells me. It's not one of his best. But I, not having seen one up close before, double back, stand, stare, dazzled and a bit confused by the red, orange, umber. It's a blur, alien, so much I find it hard to spot the young woman in a landscape. I enjoy the painting, though. Even the tiny hole that attests to its age and a handler's careless movement years ago. It's obvious to me Grace and I won't agree about the Renoir, although we share a moment, mesmerized by some minor artist's misty portrait of the moon. Then a gallery filled with newer panoramic visions of Antarctic ice flows, a few valleys depicted from a height so intense, precise. I feel a flash of vertigo as though I'm standing tiptoed on the edge of a cliff. This, our holy pause to be amazed together as if sharing a sunset or good news. What won't happen with the Renoir? Divisive, disputable, which, whether you like it or not, as together we do, proves it to be the work of a daring master. And that was Day Trip to the Huntington Museum of Art from Escape Envy.
um, you know, reading your work, Ace, I've always felt like um, absurdity was sort of the central thing. Like, it's sort of like a, you know, observing and appreciating the absurdity of life is like your central conceit, maybe, for poems. And that's what they seem to come out of. Like, things that seem like they really happened, and then how absurd they are, you know, a kind of a Camus-type vibe. Um, is that something that you think about in terms of poetry? Um, what are you going for when you write a poem? It is. It's it, You've completely captured the uh, the sum of my best work, which is things are just silly. <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, I, I go to I go to prison and I find humor there. Uh, I go to a museum, which is serious and and stuffy, and and I find humor there. Uh, you know, even a funeral, I try to find humor. It's just it's it's a coping mechanism that I have for some anxieties that I've had my whole life, uh, and. It does relate in, in, in big ways to Camus and existentialism in general, uh, which were big thing in themes early on in my writing, especially the novels. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm, I, I try to find humor. I, I want to say it this way. I have trouble talking to people mm. that I don't know. So I'll, I will always crack a joke. And if you laugh, then I know we can talk. We can be friends. <laughs> Uh, and it's the same way with my writing. I'm, it's sort of a, a, a mix of, of journalism and, and humor. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to tell a real story of what's going on, but at the same time, uh, give you a little bit of a laugh so that you're not so freaked out by some of it. Yeah. Um, it feels like you, you um, treated your experience in prison the same way. Uh, you know, you spent five years in prison, which is a big, it's a long stretch of time of your life. And um, that could be devastating to some people. Um, but you seem to sort of make the most of it in some in some way. I mean, you, I remember, I think there's some poems I've read of yours where you talked about um, helping prisoners with illegal things and writing poems for them and, and things like that. Um, what, what was your experience like there? And, and how has it how has it shaped you as a person now that you, you're out? <laughs> well, I, I've rebuilt my career off of it. <laughs> Uh, I'll take that as a, a plus, but I mean, it, it was horrible, uh, especially the, the first year or so, but after a while, you know, doing time in prison just becomes your life, just like college, uh, you know, what, whatever you might be into your job, your, your family, uh, it's just life and just like in life. You have your serious moments and your funny moments and your moments that are just completely unexplainably crazy. Uh, and the journalist in me always wanted to capture that, uh, but the existentialist in me just wanted to laugh, just mm -hmm. always laugh. Um, because prison is the ultimate uh, example of existentialism, which is probably why Camus used it. Uh, I mean, you have absolutely no control over your life, and yet you still find ways to escape. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about, about what was hard about it? Because, you know, mo most people don't have that experience um, and so don't know how to relate to that. Um, was it the psychological, like, not having freedom that was the biggest factor? Or was it, like, the physicality of being there in prison with other people? What was it that was difficult about it? Or the most difficult. I'm sure a bunch of different things were. 
Well, uh, not having freedom is, is big. Uh, th- you're always at risk of, of getting in additional trouble while you're in there mm. because the nature of the, of the situation is that everyone is trying to get away with as much as they can. And there are all these rules that you have to follow. Uh, I was the, the legal rep for probably three and a half of the five years that I was there. So I, I, I would have to uh, uh, sit in front of the uh, institutional magistrate and make these arguments, ridiculous arguments for uh, people's cases for everything from having a, a cigarette to uh, uh, trying to escape or uh, getting actually getting online at the time was a, a major write-up. Hmm. And we just had to deal with those things. But there was also there was always the risk of violence. There there was violence regularly. Uh, I mean, you you have to deal with uh, really people coming at you from both sides. You mm-hmm. mean that you have the inmates and, and the the staff, and either one of them can come at you at any time, and you, you just have to be ready for it. Uh, but at the same time, that that was part of what made it fascinating was you could, if you could sit back and watch that when you weren't involved in it, mm-hmm. uh, when you're involved in it, it's not very fun, but when you can sit back and watch it or when you can uh, have other people tell you their story before you go in to talk to the magistrate, that was fascinating. Mm-hmm. And anything that I haven't experienced, I have this childlike fascination for, uh, I think I carry that a lot into escape envy as well as, you know, just getting back out and, and, and traveling around and seeing things that, I, you know, visiting places like the old closed down West Virginia prison, uh, West Virginia penitentiary where uh, Charles Manson's mother stayed. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it's, and it's fascinating stuff. And whenever, whenever I experience something new because of those anxieties that I had as a kid and really still do, anytime I, I experience something new, I'm just captivated by it. Mm-hmm. Um, did you experience violence personally, like like directly at you? Um, I've talked to oh, some people. I, I was in a few fights. Yeah, <laughs> I, would, I, talked I wouldn't to some say people. that. I wouldn't say I was fighting. I would say I was in a few fights. Yeah, um, I, I talked to a few people who um, a poet we published in particular, who I, I won't name. I don't think I should, but um, he said that he, you know, was in jail for so long that he couldn't relate to the outside world anymore. Like the the he had like anxiety leaving because there was no like structure and no like um guarantee of like you know like hots in a cot or whatever um and so he actually would commit crimes just to go back because he didn't want to live in the real world and he um you know he wrote poems and he thought that that was a better life than he could have outside do you did you have that feeling at all with that were you able to avoid the bad enough that there was good or is that just um, a few people have said similar things like that, that if you keep your head down, you can sort of avoid things and it's not as bad. I've had those anxieties my whole life. Yeah. So it wasn't the same for me coming out for me. Getting out was just another thing to experience. Mm. I mean, I experience things and then move on to the next thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that part of my life is gone. Uh, but what I've, you know, what I've experienced since, you know, that's a new story and a new life and okay. 
try to have as much fun as I can while I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, there's, there's always that sort of realization that you, you, you know, maybe, maybe you were better off in there. Maybe you didn't have to worry as much, but then you realize, yeah, you had to worry. Yeah. You always had to worry. You know, it's just, what, what kind of worry are you comfortable with? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, do you want to read the next poem? I think you wanted to do Escape Envy next, which is a good Yeah, the, the title piece, which uh, was a Rattle Poets Respond piece. I think right, probably the first year you were doing those. Escape Envy. Dreams that belong to each of us. Unbroken spirit versus unbreakable walls. I remember mine as vividly as leg irons. Sniffing pollen from flowers at a highway's edge. Hiding from marshals under a mound of brittle leaves in the garden. Eating burgers in a dead cafe. So when I heard those two guys made it out from Clinton Correctional in New York. Through a hole in the wall, along pipes and hidden passageways. Out a manhole into the movie-like rain. A part of me rejoiced. Not the part that knows human decency. Not the part that wants to be safe in its discreet new life. No. That other part that wishes itself bravado. The visionary weighted down from years of longing. How it must feel for them to anticipate a soft mattress. Softer arms embracing. First sniff at sizzle sense of steak and... How confusing to learn the world has changed without them, whatever world they dreamt of escaping to. It's there I leave them. As though putting down a paperback thriller, not wanting to read what happens next when truth does violence to their fantasies, as it will. And the gray fermented fruits of what was believed to be freedom squeeze sad wine into a glass for which these men already drank before. And that was Escape Envy, the title poem from Ace Bogus's new book. Um, if you have any questions for Ace, uh, please do pass them along in the chat windows. Uh, we're you know we're back on YouTube, even though it was uh, off at first, and uh, we're we're always rolling on Facebook. So um, feel free to share any questions, and I'll pass them along. Um, but let's talk about the poetry in a little more depth. You're a very prolific poet, it seems to me. It seems like you write, like, I imagine that you write daily, um, and there's some kind of ritual or routine to that, because you do, you write a lot of poems, and, and really consistently well, too. Uh, it seems to me, I mean, I only see the ones you send out, but uh, but what is your writing process like, and, and how do you approach writing a poem when, it's, when, it, when you sit down to do it? First things are uh, a cigarette and a cup of coffee. And then I read. Uh, I usually, whatever book I'm reading now, or I'll pick up a journal or, or uh, a copy of Best American, something, and I'll read for about 20 minutes uh, while I, I drink my coffee. And I, I, I work myself into a sort of, almost a trance. Uh, and I, I just, once the idea comes, I just go with it and follow it wherever it leads me. Uh, I do the hard work on it later when I'm typing it because I write longhand, uh, lying in bed these days usually. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I 
can't say that I know what the process is from there. It's that's sort of left over from my uh, drug addiction days because I used to take the pills and I would read for 20 or 30 minutes until they kicked in oh, wow. and then I would start to write. Uh, and even though I don't take the pills anymore, I still do that. I, I have that same weird approach where I have to read a little bit and then I just sort of blend in with my surroundings and, and let my brain do whatever it does. Uh, that's I've, always got, I've yeah. always got so many things going on in my head at the same time. I just try to grab one and hold on. That, that's interesting that it was, so you wrote um, on drugs, um, first of all. You know, that's how you did it at first? Uh, not at first, uh-huh. but, uh, yeah, I picked up the drug habit in 98 when I finished mm-hmm. law school. And it was about eight years of drug use from there. What, what kind of drugs were they? Were they like, like, what did it do for you? And, and it's interesting that you sort of had the same process and don't need them. What, what kind of drugs were they and, and what did, it, did they give you? And then how did you find it without them? That's, that's interesting. Oh, I, I was on uh, Oxycontins, Roxacets, Percocets, Lortabs, uh, morphine, methadone, just about anything I could get my hands on. Uh, and the main thing they did was they, they, got rid of all those anxieties that I talked about. Mm. Uh, I, I felt like I could interact with other people. Uh, I mean, they, they allowed me really to sit still for, for more than a little bit. Uh, you know, about an hour is as, as long as I can usually handle sitting in one place before I have to get up and just move around. Uh, but I would take those and I could I could go down to my favorite haunt and sit there for eight hours and write and talk to anybody that happened to come in and want to sit down and have a conversation or play a game of chess or, or you know, sing a song, whatever. They, they soothed something in me that I didn't realize was broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they were they became a big part of my life. And then when everything started to fall apart, they contributed to that too. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, so, so how did you sort of manage to fix what was broken? Cause it, I mean, you're really productive, uh, right now. Um, how, how did you like come through that, that window or, or find a new way through? I really didn't. Hmm. The, the, I've still got the same issues that I had before. It's just now I understand them better. And, I call them out. I, you know, I, I tell people up front. I said, you know, I, I have this problem and this problem and this problem, and I've done this and done that, and I, I've had this happen to me, and and, and just the act of, of getting it out uh, helps. I mean, it, it it solves the problem, but I still, you know, I I, I still avoid my crowds and situations that you know, don't feel comfortable to me. Uh, the only place that I ever actually do feel comfortable is when I'm on stage reading a poem mm-hmm. and I'm completely at home there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you just, your openness about this is really, I mean, it's amazing to watch. And, and also, I mean, your poems seem like that way too. They seem very open and, and you're honestly pursuing like what your actual mental state is at the time. Um, do, do you have anything in mind when you're writing? Like when you, you said you, you've, 
read for like 20 minutes or half an hour or whatever and then in bed and then write longhand do you know what you're going to write about or does the reading inspire what you were going to write about how do you find out what you're going to write about uh, uh, different ways sometimes i'll i'll have an idea already floating around from usually from walking around outside smoking a cigarette thinking about things and uh, i'll have that in my head uh sometimes the reading will inspire it like uh a, particular memory will come up somebody's writing about their childhood and and something from my childhood will come up that I hadn't thought about before uh, but I also have a series of, of prompts these uh, questions that I, I keep a list of questions and I have for 20 years now and whenever I'm struggling I'll go through the questions and I'll find a question that appeals to me and just answer it answer it with whatever's going on in my life or if it's a question that I've just picked up, possibly answer it directly to the asker. Uh, yeah. I think I'm probably most known for those question poems. So. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And, and, um, and it's interesting that you said that you're addressing them to the asker, uh, which is, it, it sort of maybe adds to the intimacy that you feel. Like it feels like you're talking, you know, when you're talking to somebody in particular, the poems just feel like, you're more connected to the subject matter. Like as a reader, you're sort of like everybody at once when you're reading a poem that's, that's actually spoken to somebody um, in a way that, that invites them in too. Um, and, and I saw, I think I saw that you asked people just on your Facebook, right. For questions. I think I've seen you do that at least once uh, where you were like, Hey, everybody asked me a question cause I'm building my list. Yeah. Um, is I've, there... I've taken, I've taken them from the strangest places. I've, I've, I mean, I've, of course, I take them from other poems and from short stories and novels, but I've taken them from billboards, uh, uh, taglines on CNN. I've taken, I've overheard them in coffee shops and movie theaters. Uh, I took one off the back of a cereal box once at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it's just any any time I see a question that is interesting, uh, but often when I'm in a conversation, people will ask me things that they don't realize they're asking, and they'll just they'll go off in really weird directions. And I don't think I can do something with that. Yeah. That, that's interesting. Like, what is it about questions? Um, you know, like, why do you think questions generate so much content? Cause, cause you know, a lot of people I've heard, you know, write down snippets of phrases, but to focus on questions is something a, a little bit unusual. It just, it feels good to answer them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know how many I've written over the years. I've probably, six or 700 and you know, half of those have been scrapped or, or, or uh, butchered into something that I don't even remember now. But uh, when something it's that, that fascination aspect again, when something fascinates me, uh, I want to do something with it and questions. They just do that for me. They, I, I like answering questions. As long as they're not yes or no questions. I can't do anything with yes or no questions. Well, I think uh, the, the, the next poem you wanted to read was uh, Can They Do That from Rattle and from oh, yeah. Prisoners. This is from the Prisoners. This is the book I actually wrote in prison. Uh, most of the poems were published while I was in prison. And I got the acceptance for the book on the day I made it out. Oh, wow. So well, I was the legal rep, of course. And people would come up to me with all kinds of questions. But this is a question that I was asked several times. Uh, 
this inmate, Johnny Redman was his name, happened to get the credit for the question, but can they do that? They can feed you pulverized bones of a rat, but not the eyes or hair. They can softly submerge your face in the sink, never the toilet without a showing of cause. They can sing country western songs all night off key as you try to sleep, rap on Fridays, rhythm and blues in the afternoon, though heavy metal would violate your rights. They can laugh at your inadequacy. They can kick you, but only when you're down. They'll seduce your wife with white roses and tales of your exploits floundering like a bear with no arms and broken wings. On a good day, they might leave you alone. A good day for you, for they have none. They can spin you in a centrifuge, dress you in dresses, dance on your grave, can tie your shoelaces in a knot. Don't say they cannot. Then lock your fingers in a Chinese puzzle so you struggle until you disappear, a Theseus walking threadless into a maze. That was Can They Do That? Uh, from rattle number 34, but also from uh, Ace's book, The Prisoners. I'm glad you picked that poem to read because I feel like that is a uh, quintessential Ace Bodges poem. Uh, you know, because you, you, you see the absurdity and then the playing and having fun with the absurdities of life. Um, and they're serious. You know, it's a serious question from Johnny, uh, but but you play with it and, and turn it into just um, entertainment. Um, and, and then the, the deeper heart of the poem is underneath that entertaining aspect. Uh, so it, it's just fun to watch you do what you do. Um, I, there was a question over here. Um, so Patricia Rock would ask, uh, your poems sound very fresh and almost like they are written without much revision. Do they come out mostly complete? It's a mix. Uh, I will say that my best poems usually don't have much revision. Uh, in fact, I don't, I don't like the word revision. I, I tend to use the word edit uh, because to revise is to change, and I don't really like to change what I've done. Hmm. Uh, but to, to edit is to fix, and I do like to fix what's wrong with things. So some things... Some things don't get edited very much. Uh, some of my best poems was one in Rattle called Watching the Wizard of Oz in Prison. It came out almost word for word the way it was printed. Uh, I never wanted to change a thing. But then there are others that I will take a chainsaw to. It's just because I'm writing so stream of conscious, uh, when I get to the typing and editing stage, I never know how much work I'm going to have to put into it. And of course, I never send the same poem out twice. Uh, so if you're the second magazine to get a poem, it's been edited again. <laughs> it's Something is different. I keep tightening the screws until it uh, either gets accepted or it breaks. Uh, and when it breaks, I just throw it away. Now, that's interesting. And do you, uh, do you find that after poems are published, they're still editing to go? Or do you feel like, hey, this worked and for somebody, so it's, it's, I'm free now and I don't have to edit anymore? It's never done until it's in a book and then I, I have no desire to touch it again. <laughs> then I just get to share them. Um, and and uh, over on YouTube, Daniel uh, Mass was asking about your editing process, but also asked if you're in a writing group. Like how much um, writing... Um, you know, interaction do you have with other writers? Do you, do you show your poems to other writers and, and participate like that? Or um, are you sort of more independent? 
I don't these days. Uh, before I got locked up, I was in a, a writing group in Huntington, West Virginia, uh, called the Guy and Dot Poets. Uh, some relative, relatively well-known poets in there, John McKernan and Ron Halchin. Uh, I think you published uh, uh, A.E. Stringer. Some really good poets. And, you know, I, I, I did learn a lot from that uh, at the same time. Uh, that's another thing that, that had to be moved beyond. Mm-hmm. Because you, know, you, you get to know what people are going to say. Uh, and oftentimes you'll get uh, exactly opposite advice from two different people. And the truth is, over time, you learn what uh, what works and what doesn't, and you have to go with that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing that I always, um, you know, I love writers groups, and it's really useful. But you also have to learn, you know, that that it's sort of a a poem isn't a bureaucratic like memo or something, you know, like you can't please everybody. You have to. Uh, stick to your guns a lot more than I think people do. There's a temptation to um, try to, especially in the creative writing and college workshops, that, that Iowa program where you're sitting around at a table, um, you kind of have to be your idiosyncratic self, you know? Yeah, and, and absorb as much as you can from everything and mm-hmm. read as much as you can. You know, like I, I have a thing every, every two or three years, I will go back and read every volume of Best American Poetry. <laughs> and... And you learn more from doing that than you can from listening to anybody. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, 40 years of, of, or 30 years, I'm not even sure how long it's been around, now, but, uh, of just good poetry. I wouldn't say the greatest poetry all the time, but good poetry consistently all the way through. And you know, go back and type some of those poems. You learn more that way. Uh you know, learn what what does work, and you can and reading them all together, you get to see the the trends too. What was working ten years ago that's not working now. It's it's very helpful, and the the same with reading journals. You just you know I'll, I'll go back and read back issues of like the Colorado Review or Rattle, uh, and you, you you gain so much from from the past issues that you don't get when you're reading them for pleasure. Uh, like you buy one off the shelf, you sit down and read it and like, yeah, well, that's good. That's good. That's good. And then you go back and read it a second time. That's when you analyze stuff and then uh, it teaches you. Yeah. That's interesting. Do you want to uh, read the next poem? I think uh, the next one was the other one from uh, the prisoner, the perfect murder. Oh yes. Well, once again, going back to the prisoners, I like to read this one because this one really shows the absurdity you were talking about. This is a horrible conversation. Uh, and it's probably 90% true. <laughs> the perfect murder. Gas explosion, says the shorter of the two inmates. Sad smile, greasy Elvis hair. And you can tell he's considered it. Measured the hiss and stink, the spark. The why and for whom he doesn't let slip. Hole in the line, he says. Then, boom! It burns away all trace. Nothing the other suggests seems as interesting. Car wreck, sleeping pills, several other versions of fire like smaller caliber bullets without the bright and bloody big bang of their betters. 
Even this back and forth is tense as a Hitchcock film. So I interrupt, interject, no, the best weapon's still a deadly scorpion. You can't get fingerprints off a deadly scorpion. A setup, waiting for the question. Finally, the taller one gives in. Why can't you get fingerprints off a scorpion? He says. I say, because it doesn't have any fingers. As the hard, embarrassed silence of one and Tommy Gunn laughs of the other reshuffle their dreadful tarot deck of a dialogue. It's like that scene in Psycho when you first realize it's Norman Bates wearing his mother's clothes and you don't know whether to giggle, gasp, or softly readjust your ashen wig as you sink down lower, ever lower, in your seat. Another fun one. That was The Perfect Murder uh, from The Prisoners. Um, uh, one of the things that, that's interesting, is a couple of people already mentioned, uh, let me see if I can find them again, but people um, on the chat windows have mentioned uh, your use of line break. And... Um, um, can't, can't find exactly what they said, but uh, but you do. Uh, it's Richard Westheimer. He says, I love how when Ace reads, he believes in his line breaks. And you have that whole series of poems that don't have any punctuation. So use line break as like the only punctuation. Um, can you explain a little bit about what, I think you were writing for that for several years. You were writing just poems. Um, I think they were always in couplets too, maybe, or usually, uh, but with no, with no punctuation except for maybe question marks. Right, um, that was... Uh... That was the what became Ultra Deep Field, my third book, uh, second after The Prisoners. I started that my last year inside, and I had spent you know four years writing all the books that fit in The Prisoners, and and I just thought, well, you know, I've got a year left. Hopefully, you know, I didn't know I was going to get out, but I thought it's time to to push myself to try something else, and I. I wanted to see what I could do without any punctuation. I'm, I mean, even with you know, clauses and and sentences and and new sentences and see see where things could fit. Uh, so I, I just started doing that. And for the last year I was in prison, and probably the first year I was out, I did nothing but that, just forcing uh, those those weird little unpunctuated couplets. Uh, and I got some really good poems out of watching the Wizard of Oz in prison was one, uh, but I also got a lot of horrible crap too. Uh, you you don't know that until you start to read them, and and sometimes it, where there's no punctuation, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> so like like I said, you tighten until they break, and if they break, say goodbye. So what did you learn throughout that process? Because you don't do it now, but it seems like a, a sort of a journey into the wilderness to learn something new. So so what did you learn while doing that? And uh, like, what have you come back with? Like, like how do you think of a, a, the, the purpose of line breaks? Because um, your, your poems are, um, you know, non, they're not metrical um, and uh, they're not rhymed. So so it's it's just the um, the tension of enjambment, really, that's it's functioning in the length of the line, too. So how do you how do you think about the structure? You also have a whole series of um, prose poems too, which is like the opposite. Like you, <laughs> you had the poems that were you know where the line breaks were so important because they were the punctuation. Then you have prose poems now. 
See, that that's a new test for me. I, I don't know much about the prose poem. I don't really understand it. And I've been experimenting with that for about a year now, just off and on, not full force like uh, like with the, the the couplets. But for me, line breaks are breaths. Uh, I mean, that that's where I, as the reader, take a breath. Uh, it's my way of, I guess, annotating it for when I'm on stage. So I know, okay, I got this break here, take a breath. I've got this stanza break here, take a long breath. Uh, and I use that also to to trick the reader by going one way, uh, one way, and then stopping, and then going the other way. <laughs> it's it's just, but mainly it's it's about the performance. So so how do you find uh, reading the prose poems to be different? Because there are no line breaks. Do you? Uh... I haven't actually read one other than for Rattle, for the, <laughs> the, the new issue. And, you know, that it was kind of like reading a story. Uh, I was looking for places to take a breath, I think. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, let, let's, uh, let me do 20 minutes. I think there's like four poems left on the list. Let's read another poem. Okay. I'm going back to uh, Escape Envy. Actually, let's let's switch gears. Why don't, why don't we do why don't we do the rattle piece? Yeah, sure. Let me. Uh, I'm gonna have to that. find that one though. Yeah, I will too. But luckily, we're in alphabetical order, which yeah. <laughs> makes it always makes it much easier. I had forgotten to include that on the list. <laughs> uh, all right. Goodbye for now. A guy from DNR tracked the neighborhood bear. A yearling who's been causing quite a stir on Facebook and in rubbish bins along Gordon Drive. Scraps, all it wanted, wandering in excessive summer heat. Families can't live with a bear on the street, making a mess, marking its territory by scatterings of meat-scented plastic and a few violent markings on the trees. At first, the DNR rep swore the bear would be put down, its black-brown coat blooming lips and roses. But everyone has a camera. Photos posted in the Facebook group once reserved for neighborly complaints about fireworks or people speeding were like those of someone's happy child at play in a brutal world. So, the bear will be relocated to a wildlife preserve. Plenty of space. Lots of caves and streams. There's enough emptiness in West Virginia for any reclusive animal, a myth, a memory, escaping the limelight in which it never wanted to be, like a murderer's wife. So how was that to read? That was goodbye for now. Um... It's actually kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I, want to, I, want, I want to stop every place the line stops on the page when <laughs> It's not the way it's meant to read. <laughs> so, so what made you want to do that? Um, and you have a whole series of uh, prose poems now that you're working on, I assume? Not really a series. I'm just, I just experiment with it from time to time, mm -hmm. um, trying to get, get a grasp of it. Just uh, Every now and then when I think I'm getting a little stale, I'll try something new just to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, just like with experiencing things, it's, it's important to me that... And I don't just keep doing the same thing over and over again, although I do always go back to the questions eventually. 
Yeah, I mean, the questions is just a well, like a bottomless well that you can always recharge, it seems like, because those poems are great. Um, th- this issue um, is Appalachian Poets, of course, and, and that is one of the few poems, I didn't realize you were an Appalachian poet, I think, until uh, you you sent, you know, I didn't think of you that way. I guess I knew you were in West Virginia, but it didn't like occur to me, because you don't write about sort of those type themes. Um what does it mean to be an Appalachian poet to you? Uh, it's this is literally it's my favorite tribute. I think I love the poems because there's such a the heart is like storytelling, and and um and and that seems to be sort of pervasive across the board. But what does it mean to you to be an Appalachian? Honestly, I, I feel like kind of an outsider at times, uh, and I, again, that's probably my anxieties, but. I'm just now starting to explore uh, the nature scenes, you know, the, the parts of the state and, and the region uh, that my anxieties had kept me away from for years. I mean, uh, you know, for most of my life, I, I've done everything I can to avoid uh, experiencing these things. And, and you know, like I, I never thought I would be a poet writing about uh you know, bears or, or deer and rabbits and, and something like that. I, that's never been my thing. It's always been people and, uh, and absurdity. Uh, and now I find myself standing outside smoking a cigarette. Don't mean to offend your California ears, <laughs> smoking a cigarette. And, you know, uh, a herd of deer will wander through the yard 10 feet away. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've, you know, I see, foxes and and raccoons and possums and and connecting with that you know, none of them are ever are, are ever frightened i'll just i'll just stand there and smoke and and they'll just wander by maybe give me a look uh it's a new part of life it's something i'm just beginning to to uh to feel really hmm, that's interesting uh, yeah. Uh, do you want to uh, read another poem? Like, uh, sure. I'll we'll make sure we get through a good number. Okay. Uh, my condolences. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for your loss. I must practice lest I get words wrong. This simple thing I don't know how to say. I've never been a mourner, never worn those black glasses grief prescribes. I confess that I can't empathize with what way you react when people die. Now someone close, your heart, your wife. How might I sneak you past the weepers in this sadness study group? I who've not yet read the introduction to their text. I'm sorry for your loss, I'll tell you. Mechanical is a grinding clock. But why should you listen? What good will it do? I'd be like a pallbearer showing up with broken arms. More dead weight on the uneven path. Drunken lout who came too late, singing his song of sorry for your loss. That was my condolences from Escape Envy. Um, Danny Mask asks uh, what you do for work now. And, you know, you were a lawyer. Um, I, I don't know if you're, you're still working in the legal profession or um, do you do something else? And I, I wonder I, how much. Yeah. 
Actually, wasn't a lawyer. I oh, you just were? Had a, just had a law degree. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I do some freelance editing. Uh, I, yeah, I do some freelance editing, but mostly I am unemployed. So, so what was, uh, you know, you got your law degree. Does that have anything to do with, um, you know, wanting to be a writer? Like, I always think that um, that, that lawyer poets issue was really interesting because there's such a, you know, you know, the law is words and, and language being precise, which is sort of the opposite of what language is doing in poetry. So it's always an interesting, um, uh, you know, comparison. But what was it that made you get a JD? Panic. <laughs> I... I was a reporter for four years uh, back in the early 90s, and uh, some things happened uh, where I was no longer in that profession. Uh, I had a you know a, a couple of uh, failed newspaper jobs after that, and because again because of my anxieties, what you were describing about people coming out of prison—that's where I was mm -hmm. back then. Uh, about not having a job and I thought well the only thing that I can do is go back to school uh, why not try this and so I did uh, but it was actually while I was in law school that I finished a song without a melody uh, that convinced me I could succeed as a writer because I finished this book and I got an agent for it I, after you know I had written, I think, four before that and had not had any success whatsoever. And with this one, I had an agent. I thought, okay, I'm on my way. <laughs> I believed in it. Uh, I didn't believe in the law. Uh, so, plus I, I picked up a drug habit while I was there, which didn't help. Uh, went back home to Huntington at the time and just work, kept working on the books until, you know, everything exploded on me yeah mm -hmm. yeah well we have time uh, let's do we're sort of running short let's do another poem and then another couple questions and then another poem to end out the uh the show all right this is another uh, rattle poem one of the first things i did when i got out of prison of course was get onto facebook because it had come out while i was locked up oh that's interesting so what was it like like uh like not knowing what what social media was i guess <laughs> in that in that window i mean total, it must total, have been a shock total culture shock yeah. uh but this is something that recur has recurred over the years facebook keeps telling me i should be friends with my ex-wife extend handshake and chivalrous salute as if we might hang out somewhere between servers and play gin rummy digital checkers as if not enemies isn't enough. We have to like each other and our posts. Her face appears sadly smiling on my screen like a phantom, like any of 100,000 memories, ambiguous. Add friend, the social network strong arms me, demanding I send a new request, as though she wouldn't request in turn 20 years of her life back and I wouldn't find it too disturbing to read about a relationship status, thumb through pictures of her travels to beaches, zoos, concerts, cathedrals, with whomever might prove martyr enough for love. 
I'm much too busy regretting. Also trying to forget and dancing in a dark and empty room while wondering how I should pitch Facebook on an ad, not enemy button for those we'd rather not know, except we do. That was a Facebook Keeps Telling Me, another poem that was originally in Rattle and is now in Escape Envy. Um, I think I saw, I think I saw you say at some point, one of the most interesting things, talking about um, what the purpose of poetry is. And, and I think you said that poetry is uh, helping strangers understand each other. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Like, why, why do you think that is the purpose of poetry? Because that's what I look for in, in, in poetry. That's what I consider good poetry. It, I call it uh, a sense of connection to the strange. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to be able to uh, experience what you're experiencing by reading a poem. And I want you to be able to experience the weird stuff that's going on in my life. Uh, I mean, I don't want you to have to go to prison. You, Timothy Green, uh, but I would like you, Timothy Green, to be able to understand what happens there, aside from what you see in the movies, that I mean, the day-to-day life, uh, you know, going in front of the institutional magistrate or uh, joking with people about deadly serious stuff. Uh, I want you to be able to understand that as I, in turn, try to understand you know, whatever your life has to offer. I, I think it helps us grow as, as human beings to try to understand each other. Yeah, I love that and completely agree. I just, uh, that's one of those, uh, ex, you know, descriptions that just stood out and always has. Uh, do you want to close out with one uh, last poem? Sure. This is the closing poem in the book. I write a lot of dream poems, too, when I have them. The dream turned religious right before I woke. All I remember, though earlier it found an action plot. The what I've lost as surely as the why. It shifted into prayer. Not mine. Not my beliefs, but some. I wasn't offended, bothered, angry, but spotted with easiness. As though I wore heating pads over aches and wounds. As though all gathered in this group and I were prisoners to the same Grendel-hearted warden. Our deaths would follow or maybe escape, should the dream not break when it did, leaving me untroubled as a gray squirrel at rest, warmed on its branch by the sun. Excellent. That was uh, The Dream Turned Religious Right Before I Woke. Um, Ace Bugus, thanks so much for being a guest today. A pleasure. I mean, these are just wonderful poems uh, that you share. And, and the way you approach life is just so interesting and, I don't know, meaningful. I, I really appreciate uh, sharing all this with us today. Well, thanks, Tim. It's been a total joy to be here. Uh, and it's nice to finally meet you after 20 years. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Uh, I hope we get to meet again soon. All right. Talk to you soon. Yep. Take care. Good night. And once again, that was Ace Vagas. Uh, his newest book is Escape Envy, which I will put on the screen right here. Uh, Escape Envy is out from Brick Road Press, and you can find that at brickroadpoetrypress.com. And um, you can also find Ace Vagas's website. Um, it's one of those Wix sites, so it ends up being, you write his name twice, uh, 
Um, it is, uh, um, where is it? It is, uh, yeah, I think it's Ace Bogus. Ace Bogus. Um, yeah, Ace Bogus dot Wix site. That's W I X site S I T E dot com slash Ace Bogus. And, and Ace Bogus is, uh, right there. So, um, yeah, pick up these books by Ace. They're just wonderful books of uh, poetry and a really interesting person. Great talking to him. Uh, Now we're going to move on to our open lines for tonight. And as always, I will put up uh, the numbers on screen, a little splash screen here. Um, Here we go. So email your poems first to openmic at rattle.com. That's open M-I-C at rattle.com. Email whatever you'd like to share there first right now so it gets to me in time. Then call in over Skype or over the phone. Over Skype, send me a message at Rattle Poetry, all one word. Over the phone, it's 818-850-7727. That's 818-850-7727. Just let it ring a few times, then hang up, and I will call you back when the time is right. And... um over Skype, just send me a chat message and say hi, and I'll say hi back, and then I'll call you when it's your turn. That's how we uh, run the open mic here. And uh, I'm going to take a quick break and stretch, and uh, I will be right back while you do that and I do that. So see you in a minute. And I'm back. Thanks for your patience as I uh, stand up and refill my drink and all that stuff to make sure we're ready for the open lines. Now, the prompt for this week... Well, as I put it on screen, the prompt for this week was to write a poem that explores a common argument you have with yourself or somebody else. And um, my my uh, poem here, maybe I should explain first uh, what Hans Island, you probably, I mean, maybe everybody knows this. I'm not sure how, how common knowledge this is, but there's a little island off the coast of uh, between Greenland and Canada. And it's disputed. The line that's supposed to divide the two countries um, is uh, right through the island. So uh, there's, they're fighting over it, the Canadians and the, uh, the Danes. And every once in a while, they'll go up and change the flag and leave a bottle of whiskey or a bottle of, uh, of schnapps and, uh, and change the flag with a little note saying, welcome to Canada or whatever. And um, that is the... the uh, what the uh, little epigram is for in this poem. You kind of have to know what I'm talking about to uh, understand that. And then also, it was hard to think of an argument that we have uh, frequently. But one thing is, uh, you know, every married couple, I think, argues about the thermostat. <laughs> and so uh, when the when the air conditioner or the uh, furnace turn on, I kind of feel like it's the sound of money burning. And I'm one of those people, which is obnoxious. And then Megan is, is not one of those people. And... Um, would like to be comfortable. <laughs> and so that is one of our arguments that we have all the time. And this was my uh, little poem about it uh, right here. This is an uh, argument in another language for Hans Island. The thermostat hangs on the wall in the hall like a disputed island in an icy strait where soldiers hike from their frigid ships over the bare rock to trade their flags and bottles of whiskey or schnapps. Welcome to Canada, you say, each word pressed deep into the rubber button a laundry basket balanced on your hip. Volkomen til danske o, I reply, passing by after walking the dog. That is my little poem, Argument in Another Language. And Megan's poem, I wonder what she uh, says we argue about. Let's see. Or maybe it's an argument with herself. We'll find out. This is Smoke, Megan's poem this week. Smoke. 
When the waiter sneers, or the playground mom scolds, or the woman in line behind me says, look at the cashier. She has blue hair. Ridiculous. Can you imagine? Part of me knows it would be fair, maybe even righteous, to take that toxic flame into my palms, blow on it, hand it back as a wildfire. Let them be forced to see what a spark can do. But then I remember there would still be fire. Truth, yes, but fire too. So I tell the woman in line, actually, I think it looks nice. And her glare is hot, but my smile is water. And I keep smiling at her like she's my newborn baby. Because once she was someone's newborn baby. And when I see her again out in the parking lot, a summer rain is falling. And even though she pulls her coat up, she is drenched. And so am I. A great poem by Megan, as always. That is Smoke um, from, uh, from Megan. And uh, now let's see what uh, you have. And I should let you know, of course, that when, I, when you call in, make sure you turn off your stream. So I'm going to call you up when it's your turn. And then you have to turn off what you're listening to to listen to this because there's a delay. Have your poem ready to read yourself because you can't read it off the screen. And just X out of uh, this stream because otherwise it will be confusing. And let's call up uh, Julian Matthews first. Hey, Julian, how are you doing today? Hi. How are, things, how are things there? Are they getting any better from last week or, or two weeks ago when, when you were talking about how bad it was? Um, no, we had the highest death rate per day yesterday. Oh, man, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. Um, I, I wonder. Yeah, yeah hopefully it'll, it'll end soon. And, um, and sort of calm down. Uh, what did you want to share with us today? Well, it's called uh, COVID crime. Uh, poets respond to the lockdowns that happened, but it was not effective at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, well, go ahead whenever you're ready. I have it up on screen now. Yeah. COVID crime. The playground I used to take my children as kids is now a crime scene, yellow tape, funeral. The field is empty, grass overgrown, bins overflowing. There are no kids giggling on swings, slides, or chasing each other on bicycles. No parents cheering those wobbling on new rollerblades. No gurgling babies and young mothers. No shouts to pass the ball near goalposts. No gossipy grannies in faded housecoats. No retired men with holes in old t-shirts, chattering about the markets. No dogs being walked, barking. No happy sounds. No laughter. Just the trees in a circle like silent witnesses. The leaves whispering in hushed tone. Two birds twittering on a phone line in the distance. And somewhere, buried beneath these haloed grounds, the children's hamsters, whose names I forget. Oh, that's a beautiful poem. Um, I love that that ending too. Really powerful stuff. Thanks for sharing that, Julian. I do hope things you know turn and you know everywhere has had a peak and then it goes down. So hopefully, that peak is soon and and things will get get a little better. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, yeah. Have a good night so. or a good rest of your day, I guess, over there. Take care. Bye. Bye. It was a Julian Matthews with a COVID crime, and um. Somehow it got very dark in here. It wasn't dark before. Let's fix that. A little better. Okay. Let us go next 
let's see whose turn is the next. Uh, we have an 808 number calling. I'll call 808 back in a minute. I don't want to answer in surprise whoever that is. Um, let's see. I think Nivedita is here. Let's call it Nivedita and see how she's doing uh, this morning for, for her. Hey, Nivedita. Yeah, how are you doing today? Hey, Tim, I'm doing great. Thank you. Sorry, one second. Let me just turn on another light here. No problem. Uh, no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it should be better, I hope. I'm sorry, but it's raining here and I keep losing power and it keeps coming back on. So. Oh, really? It, it, it's a bit iffy here since morning. Oh, sorry to hear that. So uh, it's a big. I don't big... know what it is at all. Yeah. Well, uh, what did you want to share with us this morning? I think I have the uh, Poet Respondent poem up first, if you want to do that. Oh, okay. So this is basically about, I know, a random news story as usual. So it's basically this, I forgot the name of the ice cream parlor, but it's an ice cream parlor that's come up with a mac and cheese ice cream by teaming up with Kraft Foods. <laughs> so it's like, Mac and cheese comfort food, ice cream comfort food. So, like, sort of best of both worlds, basically. Oh, interesting. Uh, Van Leeuwen ice cream. I think it sells for about $12 a cup or something of that sort. So, so is this mac and cheese flavored ice cream? Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> well, then mac I, and cheese flavored ice cream. I don't know if I would want to try that or not. I think... Um... <laughs> and it's apparently been sold out, like... For quite a while, it's still sold out on their website. So people seem to be wanting it, and people seem to be hopefully enjoying it. I don't know. Seems <laughs> a weird combination to me, but then again. Yeah, I think that is a strange combination, but let's hear the poem that you wrote about it. The two best comfort foods is one. A smart ice cream man once said, the ice cream world stuck behind where the world's moved ahead. So he teamed up with Kraft and came up with an idea he thought was daft, which was a mac and cheese ice cream spread. Wishing to succeed, unturned he left no stone, and on Instagram posted one photo alone. That's all he needed. Defeat conceded, and now he sells mac and cheese in a cone. <laughs> that's great. Perfect use so of the limerick yeah. for, for a funny poem. That's basically <laughs> the first one. Thanks. And then what was the other one? Uh, so the other one was basically you wanted a poem about an argument that people usually have. Mm -hmm. And seeing as this is India, and you know how gender inequality still exists. And it's quite rampant here in India, in fact. So this is basically a poem like that sort of saying, I wish I was a boy. But just, just comparing how difficult it is for women and men here, mm -hmm. especially women. I mean, like how the, the sort of troubles women face and that. That's that's basically what it is. Yeah. And seeing as I'm from India, that's something that's so very much more common here compared to other places. Not that it doesn't exist elsewhere, but mm -hmm. it's just so much more obvious here. So I thought I would write about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's hear it. it was, I wish I was a boy. Go ahead, whatever you're ready with that. I wish I was a boy. You have no cause to complain of boredom and possess the ability to do what you want. You enjoy all of life's freedom and can go late at night for a nice long jaunt. You can sleep when and any time you feel like and enjoy an unrestricted lifestyle. When annoyed, you can tell people to take a hike and yet everyone still greets you with a smile. You have the first say in everything and are the recipient of special treatment by society. You can do no wrong and are always the best offspring 
You are a gift from the Almighty. In this gender-neutral world, inequality still exists. The flag flies on high, unfurled, leaving me in Lot's interests. I'm hoping and praying the day will come when such things cease and all are respected as one. Till then, to burdens and sorrow, a woman will succumb, and daughters will never be, no matter what they do, better than a son. Excellent. Thanks so much for sharing that, Nividia. Thanks for, for writing it and, and letting us know uh, what's going on over there. I appreciate it. Thank you, Tim. It's lovely talking to you, too. Yeah, it always is. Have a great night or day. Thank you. Thank you. Have and, a great evening. And stay dry, too. Um, I could hear the <laughs> rain you. in the background for a second a little bit. It sounds like it. I'm jealous. I can't help but be jealous, but I'll try not to be because <laughs> I'm sure you don't want it. Okay. Uh, actually, we do. It's a big storm of temperature, so I'm quite happy that it is raining as it is. So. Oh. That's good. Well, stay cool then. Uh, take care, Nivedita. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Have a nice evening. This is Nivedita Karthik. And uh, let's go up next uh, to, let's call uh, Patricia Wilson. I think this is a first-time caller to find Patricia's poem, too. Hey. Hey, Patricia. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, oh, no get you on the screen um so the first time caller where are you calling from i'm calling from hawaii ah great so we're really traveling around the world tonight um what do you uh what do you have for us that you wanted to share well there's um the weekly news story mm-hmm. uh, to read the moon wobble poem that i had sent in excellent yeah go ahead i have it up here whenever you are ready and, and that's, let's, let's talk about the moon wobble. Um, so, so what is it? Do you want to explain what that story was about? Yeah, um, it was in science in, uh, I think, some, some news uh, company affiliated or NBC itself. And it said that uh, the moon normally wobbles. It's, that's the way it, it goes uh, around the, you know, that's the way it orbits. So... Um, but uh, it causes uh, the tides to happen. Mm-hmm. However, uh, in the next decade, uh, the moon wobble will cause extra flooding because of the climate change. And uh, that was the news. Uh, but in the 2030s, we're going to see more flooding because of, of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, that triggered uh, an experience I had in Waikiki, the last time I was at this particular hotel on the beach there, and that's mm-hmm. yeah. Well, let's go ahead and hear this. This is Moon Wobble. Go ahead whenever you're ready. I'll put it on screen for everybody at home. Okay. Moon Wobble. Last time I was drinking, eating, dancing with friends at Moana Surfrider Hotel in the Waikiki evening. The sea was eager to climb the stairs that normally lead to the beach and did so with unusual aplomb, workers bailing water away, much to our collective chagrin. It didn't occur to me then that in the 2030s, a moon dance might enhance this inundation, multiply its occurrence by 10 times, or that the lovely ambiance of the outside bar and grill might be closed one night due to salt water flood. The question is, how to move an entire hotel inland 
so that people like me can watch the lonely sunset at the brink of horizon out over the largest ocean in the world and wonder how in our hands such beauty should become so dangerous even before the universe cuts in. I am sure all kinds of engineers are working on this and I hope there will be a solution that's good for everybody because I just can't think of who would want to make the moon stop dancing, even if they could. Another great poem, a great ending there too. I love that line about the, um, you know, such beauty can become such so dangerous. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. Thank uh, you. Yeah, yeah. First time calling. I'm glad. I hope you call in again and share another poem. Mm, I hope so too. Okay. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Yeah, that was Patrice Wilson with Moon Wobble. And um, <clears throat> let's see. Um, let us go to, you know, I'm going to read, um, let's see, let's call up Danny Mask. Danny hasn't been on in a, in a good while. Uh, Danny Mask has an alligator poem, or a picture of an alligator. Let's see what this is. Hey, Danny, how you doing tonight? I'm <laughs> doing great, man. Yeah, it's always good. good to, it's always good to hear from you. Uh, it's been a while since we have. Uh, I know you got that new place uh, down by the water. Yeah, I've, I've been. Yeah, I've been busy. Did you see that uh, new picture of the, uh, the of the alligator? I said. I do. Yeah. Do you want me to? I can play that. It's a video. Now let me go back and find it. <laughs> yeah, play the video. I mean, that is uh, that's a very large alligator. <laughs> let me see alligator here. So here, this is shared and driving. It comes up fine. So let's let's share this. This is a. You know if they're sound or not. Oh my gosh! Let's look at this. So, so we're gonna keep you on. Maybe I'm gonna. T I'll tell you when I play it, and you can narrate and explain what's going on here. Um, okay. So I have it on the screen now. Go ahead and uh, and tell everybody what we're seeing. Well, his name is LB, right? And he <laughs> is well known in the area, and uh, so he's a very, very large alligator. And uh, on the way to Anderson, Fort Anderson. Um, there's like a little lake, uh, Lake Orton. And um, so we just drove up. And as soon as we drove up, he felt the vibration and he just came right up to the shoreline. I oh, mean, wow. unbelievable. It scared the heck out of Becca. <laughs> I, I bet, yeah. I, I spent a summer in Miami once. And there are all these great, like I wanted to hike or go for jogs and stuff. And there are all these great trails by the place where we were like, like, you know, um, concrete paths you could jog on, but they came right next to the water, and I was just too terrified <laughs> to oh, uh, to do that. I, I mean, probably they wouldn't, you know, mess with the large human. They, they, you know, they would always be taking dogs, like little people walking their chihuahuas and stuff. But I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, growing up in the north, uh, gators are not something that I'm uh, used to worrying no, about. No. Well, uh, but, yeah, we're we're a, there's a lot of pictures on uh, on next door for snakes. So we uh -huh. have a lot of snakes. Yeah, that's something and, else I um, so I think it's, it's because we live so close to Brunswick River, it's, there's just so many animals, which I like. You know, mm -hmm. you just have to be a little careful. That's all. Yeah, I bet. Um, so what poem did you want to share, though? Well, this is called, this is a very quick poem that I did because uh, Ace was talking about editing. And, um, and I do very little editing on mm -hmm. my poems lately. And um, so um, what I do is I write them in clips, like in thirds, and then I switch them around to see what sounds better. You oh, know, mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that's, that's as much editing as I do. 
So um, this is about eating a, a full bag of potato chips <laughs> and trying to find the perfect potato chip. You know how you, you look through the bag for the perfect potato chip? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's about the bag and then you have to eat the crumbs. <laughs> yeah, I like the one that they fold over. That's the best potato chip, I think. Uh, just, just <laughs> yeah. don't, don't feed them to the gators, though. <laughs> No, yeah. no. Um, they were using marshmallows to uh, pull an alligator out of the pond oh, wow, the other really? day. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, they were attracted. Yeah, so alligators like marshmallows. Interesting. Well, you know, <laughs> calories, I guess. Yeah, wow. Uh, well, let's hear this potato yeah. chip poem. Um, here we go. Wrapped in a blanket of binge-watched movies, I felt like I was living in some kind of utopia. My neck stretched, mouth gaped, slick with saliva, reminding me that my body is a hungry hovel where any illusion can be poorly constructed. I make a pincher out of my hand that's more practical than pretty, and I reach without looking for that perfectly formed potato chip. <laughs> that's great. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> you bet, buddy. Good, good to hear your voice. Yeah, same here. I, I, I hope you can call in again soon. I will, buddy. See you. Right. Bye. Take care. Bye. Yeah, that was Danny Mask with... Uh, the potato chip poem. Uh, what was it actually called? It was called, yeah, it was just called potato chip poem. Now, thanks for sharing that, Danny. Um, let's call up next. I'm going to read uh, Carlton Johnson's poem. Now, this was for the uh, prompt, Flat or Not, by Carlton Johnson. Let me read this. Here we go. Flat or not, I don't see just the edge. I see beyond your planted perceptions. My own tongue has a word for the object you refuse to see. Some call it a curve or horizon. There's a space beyond where ships setting sail never fail to dip low. Sails progressively vanish and then return having not seen any dragons or griffins or other mythological beasties. There is awe of the undiscovered countries lying just over the edge of the map. What is beyond? Why can't you see it? Folding around you a breath of fresh air, quiet, without sound, and yet there in the middle of it, all when you close your eyes and can hear that plaintive whoosh, whooshing of your heart yearning. Starting and briefly stopping, circling again and again the orbit of your varied existence. You see the earth as an upturned pie plate, floating a disk among the spherical lights. My mind boggles at your logic. I, however, see the roundness of all things, my eyes, my heart, my belly, the circle equidistant from its center, and yet there is that third dimension that transforms the plate into a ball. It is a wonder how it all came to be, me here and you over there studying your flat map of the world. Come on over to this side of the argument. I promise to bring some pie. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that. That was uh, Carlton Johnson's Flat or Not. Excellent poem. Um, I'm not sure how literal that is, or if that's the whole thing is a metaphor. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that, Carlton. Um, let me see. Let us go to uh, Angela Gardner. Hey, Angela, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. Let me... Uh, yeah, I was just listening. Hold on, let me get you up there okay all right i'm not on video right <laughs> no you're not you were for a second but you were like off the screen while you were so that's okay <laughs> oh, i know i was like i pressed the wrong button but then i didn't want to hang up on you so yeah, it's okay so what did you want to share with us tonight 
I wrote this pretty quick. I, I have this theme going um, for the poem. And I'm like, oh, this is your prompt kind of prompted me to kind of write this. So mm-hmm. um, along with my theme. So it's about a book, like a book on the shelf that I want to read. And I always go past and try to read it. But I just, you know, it's kind of like you always have all those books on the shelves that you really love that you haven't finished. Mm-hmm. But it's just like you don't have time or you or you'll see but yeah so it's yeah yeah i think we can all relate to that (laughs) so (laughs) so let's hear it dear book and then do you have time for me to read my poets respond poem if not that's okay too yeah sure yeah we're not in a big rush um did you email to me or should i look it up on on yeah if you can look it up yeah yeah i'll just grab it um but let's do dear book first okay okay dear book you are sitting there on the bookshelf My grocery receipt is lodged halfway through your pages. I have tried to read about your questionable characters. There is one who has been distressing me. He's uninteresting with his behaviors of dully talking to a woman who loathes him. The grime that settled on your cover has left me indifferent. I would have to clean and I have a dust allergy. I don't have time to take the 24-hour round pill. My plan is to walk past you every day until you call my name. But I know you won't, so I will give you away. Excellent poem. And, and I hope you, uh, you know, give it to someone who enjoys it. I wouldn't mind <laughs> extra books anytime. <laughs> yeah, I have plenty. I, I mean, it's, it's just so many books in my life. I can't get to them all. And then, you know, there's ones I want to read, but it just, you know, I get halfway through and then I just have put it down and just it just yeah <laughs> yeah we're having trouble here because um i we usually have this uh literary festival that we do uh in the fall and we couldn't do it because of covid and uh, i i used to always give extra books after i'd read them i'd give them away um to people as like uh we had this uh, system where we'd have i think for like 20 bucks or something you buy a tote bag from the festival and then you can take all as many books as you, of mine as you can fit in the tote bag and um so we haven't had that in two years now, and uh, my bookshelves are a little—they're um, in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll take your books. We can do a book exchange. Yeah, you know? yeah sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what was your? I have the poet respond poem up. Uh, what, what was it that you were writing about this week? Yeah, um, I wish I wrote it a little better, but I'll read it anyway. But um, actually, I, it, actually, I really like this poem a lot, actually. Okay. Well, good. Um, well, it's about that, um, you know, over in, in, I forget, I think it was China, because um, I don't have the article in front of me now. But it's, it's basically, so this guy, um, he, there was actually a movie about it that I would love to look up and see. I think it was uh, Lost in Love. And mm-hmm. his, their child got abducted at two because in in china they are only allowed to have like one child and the son so on there's a lot of people who want you know sons who might not be able to have them so they abducted their son someone abducted their son at two and he went across the country on a motorcycle looking for a son he i guess he had a flag on his motorcycle and Mm -hmm. he would go through, you know, he would go through so many motorcycles, but they finally, finally, um, found the son and they were reunited. And I just, me having kids and and a son, you know, I can't imagine, you know, going, you know, going through all those years, not being able to 
be with my son and not knowing where he is. And, and I think we all have as parents and I still, I mean, he's a teenager and I still do it today. They go around the corner in the, in the grocery store, mm-hmm. the store, and, and you can't see them and, you know, have a little anxiety about it. So it's, you know, and, but to have it where they don't come back or you don't find them again, I just feel, I I'm happy for the parents, but I'm sad for all the years that they lost their child and weren't able to see them grow up. So I was just thinking how lucky I am to mm-hmm. have, and that's what, when they found that found him in the article, it was said, you know, uh, darling son, darling son. So that's what the mother said. So I was just talking about, you know, we all have these darling sons. Yeah, yeah, definitely can, can relate to that too. Uh, go ahead and read it. Okay. A darling son. When my son was two, we would sit outside and watch the squirrels who would gather nuts, climb on our fence and annoy the dog. I would teach him how to say hello and goodbye with his tiny hands. As a young mother, I worried, will he run the street, burn his fingers on the stove? That day in the grocery aisle, I looked at the cereals shelf. He was standing next to me. I turned to ask him what he liked. A throbbing in my chest began. He was found playing in the toy section. The bubble wrap I had tightly wrapped around him since then was holding. I looked at him, a teenager who is sleeping in his bed. He still waves hello and goodbye. I too would hitch a ride cross country to find him if he was stolen. Yeah, just very touching moment, and, and we're so lucky, you know, as parents these days, um, not to have half of them die from, you know, cholera or, or whatever, or dysentery. I mean, it's, I don't know. I just feel very fortunate to to uh, to have our kids here all the time. Yeah, and I just want to keep feeling fortunate, but mm-hmm. I it definitely every day every. Every day you have a worry, but yeah, it's, you know, and me, as you know, being such a news junkie, I I shouldn't be reading all this stuff, but you know, it makes me even more, I, I didn't, I, my mom always said I was so carefree before I had kids. Yeah, that's how I feel too. You know, I um, was kind of like Ace where I just like enjoyed the absurdity of life and and didn't really, you know, I, I went with the flow of things and then having kids, you can't, I remember the just the thought, um, you know, you can't die. <laughs> like, you know, they're used to the, the thought that you would just die eventually and it's all meaningless was uh, comforting in a weird way to me. But then once you have kids, you're like, oh, that's that's no longer a comfort. That's uh, something else to worry about. I know. So I need a new coping strategy. I I, I do too, but yeah. poetry has been my coping, so that's good. Excellent. So. Well, I'm so glad it has been. Uh, Angela, always great to talk to you. Great to talk to you. Have a great night. Thank yep, you. you. too. Bye. Bye. Is Angela Gardner with uh, uh, two poems. A Darling Son was the most recent. And um, let's see. And uh, yeah, okay, here's Grace's other poem or, or poem um, that she meant to send before. Let's call it Grace again. Hey, Grace, we are back. Thanks so Hi. much for getting that poem to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, so what did you have that you wanted to share? Um, what was this, uh, inspired by or, or anything you want to say about it? Sure. So this poem is, um, about when like you just keep doing that thing that you always do. That's just like, so self-destructive uh-huh. <laughs> So this is an argument with yourself, I'm I'm assuming. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it, 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 um, I had already written it. It wasn't inspired by the prompt, mm-hmm. but I was like, this kind of fits, I think, with the prompt this week. Um, and yeah, so it's just kind of about like that battle with yourself of just like, oh my God, can I, can I stop doing this, please? <laughs> okay, well, let's hear it whenever you're ready. Okay, uh, it's called An Easy Mistake to Make. I lose myself sometimes. Mondays slip into Fridays, slip into Mondays so fast. A lifetime goes by in the breath of tomorrow. I don't know what to say to make it stop. I don't know how to show up on my doorstep ready to be the person I was never taught to be. I don't know how to make space for all the space I've rejected squeezed and cinched and barricaded down into nothing. If my space takes up less space, maybe it won't be so hard to find someone to hold it. But who would want this twisted tribute to death? A bird crushed against the sudden rush of a window. It's not selfish to want to see the sun but I ask myself when enough is too much. How can I justify the skeletons lining my window pane? You see, they don't understand the inside meets outside phenomenon of clear glass facing east, of warm gooey mornings with butterscotch dripping over clean sheets, of playing solar system in the orbit of good books and succulents and golden hour glow. They don't understand, and they run headfirst into obstacles they never could have anticipated needing to see. I hit my head against the glass sometimes, too. It seems so far away. Then suddenly it rushes up, leaps out, and smacks you and leaves you aching, rubbing the sore spot and wondering how you ran into that thing you've always known was there that thing that should be so easy to avoid. But in your rush and fluster, you forgot to protect yourself and bang. It's an easy mistake to make. Great poem. Thanks so much for for expressing and sharing that. Definitely something we can all relate to. I know I have my things like that that I uh, (laughs) wish I wouldn't do. Um, So thanks (laughs) (laughs) thanks so much for sharing that. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, have a good night. Thanks, you too. And that was Grace Farron with uh, an easy mistake to make. Um, let's see, who is next? We have a bunch of people still. Um, let's call up... Uh, actually, let me read... Um, let's see. Oh, Vicky says she has a new computer. I'm going to try Vicky in a little bit uh, after we do one more. But let's uh, let me read Ted Guevara's poem because he uh, sent this. And um, this was his prompt poem, and he asked if I would read it, and then we'll call up Vicky next, and then we'll do Richard Westheimer. Uh, I'm not sure who else. I'll look through who else is on the list. Um, oh, we have a prompt poem from Carlton Johnson, too. So we'll, we'll do that, but let's do this uh, from Ted Guevara. Uh, Ted called in last week, and this week asked me to read this. Hang on, let me get, get it sized right. Okay. 
This is Living Day. And I believe this is um I believe this is a prompt poem. Let me let me double check. Or did he send two? This is revised. Oh, he's an idiom poem too. Oh, that's that's the idiom poem. Yeah, I'm talking to myself. Don't worry about it. Okay, so this is this is the argue to myself poem. And here we go from Ted Guevara. Living day. Living day. My friend has not shared his status. In fact, he's proud of it. He just posted a meme of a girl making biscuits barefooted and responsible. The walls are covered with grocer bags and not embroidered throw. Yet she is mindful. She has sibling mouths to feed. In 1938. Why my friend yelps from this photo, I don't know. It's not his kin or even his hilly state. And the girl look so canny as if she had no time, if she could have, to surf on Facebook. Her being is spread thin to the many some eighty years later. It rests on my friend's wrist. My argument to myself is, why blame the girl for her or her audacity to pose in a run-down kitchen, which was probably the big room of her family's stay? She might not have had a mother, or a ridiculously fall-from-grace father, leaving five kids for their oldest daughter to feed. My argument is little Frankie may have been bored to chop wood and gather kindles, and Sue to feed the chickens, and one brother may have saved a neighbor from hanging because of deep bond friendship. My argument to myself is that you know how neighbors are, borrowing this, lending that. I'm just in turmoil if my non-shredding Facebook friend knows this, so he can be content on being poor, the generality of poor, and not at all on referencing the good and bad day of poor. Very interesting poem. Thanks so much for sharing that, Ted. And I I would love to see that picture, actually, but we'll, uh, we'll have to uh, not see that this time. Thanks for sharing that, Fred. Living Day, or Ted, I should say. Uh, Ted Guevara, Living Day. Um... Let's see. Now let's do the Vicky Miko. And Vicky says she has a new computer. And we'll see if Skype works now. Because before she had a... It popped right up. Let's see. Hey, Vicky, can you hear me? There you are. Hi. <laughs> this is awesome. So you're, you find... Oh, wait a second. I have to turn this off. Okay, yeah. Yeah, turn the background off. But, uh, oops, hang on a second. I'm, I'm missing it up, too. But we... Uh, Oh, yeah, that setting changed. Let me change a setting. They have the resizing. Here we go. If I go to uh, scale filtering. No, it's already on area. Anyway, Vicky, I'm so glad uh, you could join you by Skype after all this time. The, so it was the computer and not the Internet okay. connection, huh? <laughs> well, it, uh, I think it's probably the connection. I have, um, I have only one bar. So I don't know. It might cut out. Uh, I, I apologize. <laughs> no problem. So what did you want to share today? Now you're breaking up. Uh-oh. Uh, well, maybe I guess it was the connection, maybe. But what did you want to share today? Um, well, I did kind of a bizarre poem um, for Poets Respond. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, it's a tragic story, but it's, um, it's a very strange story. Uh, a man was emerging from a manhole, mm-hmm. and it wasn't a worker. It was just somebody in a manhole, and oh, wow. uh, somebody drove by, and the plate flew up, and he k- killed him. Oh, wow. 
in Panorama City too. I I used to be in Panorama yeah. City all the time. Yeah. Wow. So my poem, I matched um, Parthenia Street with uh, mythology, which is kind of strange. So so here goes. Okay. Um, the epigram. The epigram. Uh, in Greek mythology, Parthenia is a river nymph, and her name is derived from the word Parthenos, meaning virgin. So here's my poem. His Ascension to Parthenia. A skylight lost in the crabgrass, his last descent. He lived there for a short time in the subterranean chamber of Parthenia's belly. Her luring smell of musket coursed along her feeder line, where she gave him respite from his broken roots. His agony clung slit and haggard inside her acid walls, where her river of empty bottles chimed against the buckling chain links. Soothed by the rhythms of shallow thunder, she licked his stinging tendrils for the last time. Rising out of the drop shaft, his face warmed to the sunstream. Parthenia anointed his head, a verdigris ending. And those, and then I have pictures to go, so it's kind of a hega. Oh yeah, and those are beautiful pictures of a manhole. So when you we include these pictures, they're pictures that you took, right? Yes. Yeah, it's just been great to um to be able to share and look at these uh these hega that you do. Uh, oh, thanks. The last year. Yeah, I just I just love uh, what you do with poems and and how you Thank bring you. in. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm so glad we could see you and uh, actually hear you read your poems. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's um it's great too. Um the the uh, delay is uh is still kind of goofed up, but hopefully I can come back then. Everybody's poems are wonderful too. So, Excellent. thanks everybody. Yeah, yeah, thanks Vicky. It's always great and great to see you now. You too. Bye-bye. So Vicky Miko with, uh, um, what was that called? That was uh, that was his ascension to Parthenia. A poet respond poem. Um, let us go next to Richard Westheimer. Then I have some. Oh, let's hear. Here's Richard. Hey, hey Jim. Richard. How are you doing today? Good. What a great interview. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Ace uh, is really cool. I, I didn't, I, you know, I had no idea. Um, yeah, I never met him before. Oops. Let me, I was at a reading. Uh, this is the second time in three weeks that I had just been at a reading with your Rattlecast poet. Oh, really? So, so uh, Ace, last week, Ace was at he, a reading? he was at a um, reading for Sheila and the gig. Uh, oh yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. And then those of us who were in the issue read in the open mic. He mm -hmm. was featured. And then two weeks before that, Tina Parker, who I had been at a reading with at a Appalachian um, a local, uh, local local to this region here. So mm -hmm. it's kind of well, nice. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah, and Ace has this new book. I don't know how, how old this book is. When did it come out? But it's good, great that he's finding places to read because um, you know, it's tough these days having a new book out. Uh, in the you know in the COVID era, yeah, it, it just you know I, I was struck, you know it was sort of the awkward question about what you do for a living, and somebody who's so prolific and such a good poet should be able to thrive on his poetry. Mm -hmm. um, 
but it's just not how this art yeah, works. Yeah, that's not how the world works, unfortunately. Maybe someday. Maybe we'll figure out a way to make it happen. I mean, I'd love for you know advances on books of poetry and, and enough people buying them. Maybe someday we'll figure out. Well, that, that's the rattle mission, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it is. It is. We keep trying. Um, yeah. so, so what did you want to share today? Uh, so I had, uh, um, I actually had two poets respond poems this week because there was just so much news that was like top of mind and stirred me, but I'm going to read no floods going to get us high on this hill. Okay. And I have here, uh, is this about the Germany floods? Yeah, sort of about Germany. And I've been reading, um, heard an interview with Jory Graham who wrote Runaway and I decided I'm going to try to read some of her poems and mm-hmm. I could not connect at all. Yeah, I uh, I, I love um, the, the early or the mid, I guess you could say, the dream of the unified field and that those those poems in the middle of that book, some really mm-hmm. great ones, um, you know, earlier or later, I, you know, it gets too, too language-ish, I think, but yeah. uh, just for me personally, but try the middle books, try like, um, what is it called? Dream of the Unified Field is the collected that she did like in the late nineties. And the okay. ones that are in the, the middle, like you're like books like three through five, I love. So so check those out yeah. maybe. Okay, I will. I mean she's sort of on a mission now to highlight climate disaster. Hmm. And it almost seems like she's on a mission. But anyway, I've been sort of like obsessed with saying how can I embody climate disaster poems? So interesting. You might see a few of those. Yeah. Okay, so we'll go ahead no, with this, yeah. Uh, No floods going to get us high on this hill. Here, and don't want to make you jealous, but this first line will. Here, it's been raining hammers and nails. The kids have dragged their squeals and taunts inside. The drenched cat snatches, scratches at the back door, uh, screen door, and zinnias are tipping over in their pots. Over there, though, it's raining coffins and cleats arms and legs and the flesh of rats and dogs and wheels and fruit carts and baby buggies are streaming down streets into sinkholes that swallow towns, submerge the screams of neighbors, all brought down in flashing, flooding slogs of roofs and window sashes, Volkswagens, ancient oaks and photo albums, wire-haired dachshunds and drowned canaries in their cages. Please, shriek inside your heart keep it to yourself they say because it's not like we earthlings are all in a runaway tricked out climate truck on a one-lane blacktop the brakes most likely would work if the driver ever decided to use them but what the hell no flood's going to get us high on this hill anyway those are foreigners washing away folks who should know better to live in westphalia flagstaff NYC, and why would anyone stay in Oaxaca in June? Rain's going to rain and flood's going to flood, and some people in their canaries are just going to get swept away, and brakes on trucks are for suckers, right? Another great ending to a poem. Thanks for sharing that, Richard. There's no flood's going to get us high on this hill. Uh, Thanks for sharing that, Richard. And yeah, a bunch of poems today have sort of swelled into a really great last stanza, last few lines, and that was one of them. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks. Bye, Tim. Bye. So I'm Richard Westheimer with No Floods Gonna Get Us High on This Hill. Let's see. Is there anybody else? There are a few people who uh, email me prompt poems. Um, let's see. But haven't called in. So I'm going to put up the numbers one more time. Um, I'll put them up 
here this way. Um, they're on the screen if you would like to call in right now. The uh, email the poem to openmic at rattle.com. Send me a, well, you already have if you're one of the people I'm talking to. Uh, but call me up, 818-850-7727. Just let it ring a couple times, then hang up. I will call you back. Um, or send me a chat message over Skype to Rattle Poetry, all one word, and I'll call you back. Then we'll get connected. But if I don't hear back, I'll just read these two that are uh, from, from this week. And that'll probably be a good way to close out the show. Um, let's see. So I want to make sure I don't miss anybody. So, cause it's always nice to have the people read their own poems themselves. Hmm. Okay. Oh, okay. Please disregard this email. Okay, so maybe Kimberly changed her mind and wants to didn't want to share this. Susan Talley. Oh, okay. So that maybe actually is the show for today. I was looking at two emails that are sort of quasi unrelated. Um. Yeah. Okay. So that is going to be the show for today. Let's do the uh, quick quick psycho to end out the show with and i usually i pick a, sh- uh, a news story that um um isn't well known i just look through i read a lot of um you know science um publications so i, I like to look at that directly but um oh wait here hang on somebody is let's see oh there's an unknown caller oh i think i know who that is so so this is what it is let me do um let me do this first. And Carlton Johnson has another poem. That's what it was. And uh, that's Carlton Johnson. And uh, this is A Trace. And this is from... Um, let me look up this article, too. The second article from UPI. Um, Nivedita's was from UPI, too. And this is the article. Um, possible Michelangelo foot fingerprint found on statue. Oh, that's interesting. Um... So what may be Michelangelo's thumbprint has been found on a small wax statue that he created 500 years ago. Museum experts at London's Victoria and Albert Museum found the mark pressed onto the red or dark red figurine, which was a sketch from a larger unfinished marble sculpture. Um, titled A Slave, the figurine depicting a naked figure with an arm across its face was part of the renaissance masters preparations for pope julius ii's elaborate tomb in rome so you can find this article at upi possible michelangelo fingerprint found on statue Uh, but here was uh, carlton johnson's short poem for this is a trace a trace unknown on any fbi or interpool database The fingerprint you left in wax may be the only evidence that you actually transcended the plane of angels and made a great impression here on earth. Excellent short poem. That was a trace by Carlton Johnson. And thanks for sharing that, Carlton. And thanks for the nudge, the little phone call. I forgot you'd sent two. Okay, and now we will do this little psyku for today. And like, as I was saying, the psyku this week, um, I did a popular science story for the first time in... Maybe maybe the entire time of the critique of the week, I just thought this was an interesting um, story, and this was the same thing that um, Patrice was writing about. This is the moon wobble. Climate change scene is driving coastal flooding in the nineteen in the twenty thirties, and Patrice already um, explained this a little bit. 
moon wobble. And um, so the moon has a little wobble, kind of like the Earth has a wobble. And the wobble affects the, the amount of gravity. It's actually because the moon isn't unifi- uniformly dense. Different parts of the moon are uh, more dense and have more, more gravitational pull than other parts of the moon. And so as the moon wobbles, um, uh, the, the, magnetic, or the gravitational field gets stronger and weaker. And so the tides get larger and smaller. It's an 18.6-year cycle. And um, there you go. The moon's gravitational pull. And uh, anyway, so right now, we are actually at the low point in the cycle. Um, you know, it goes up every, you know, every nine years is a low point, And then nine years later is a high point, And it's an 18.6 year cycle. So the flooding that we have right now seems smaller than it really is. And then around 2030, the uh, moon's pull will get a little stronger. The tides will get a little bigger. And um, then the coastal flooding that we see at high tide will be even more significant than it is in the mo- at the moment. And this is my quick haiku or saiku. He tells it again. Walking home from the bar, wobbly moon. He tells it again, walking home from the bar, wobbly moon. And that is the Saiku for this evening. Um, I, I walk the dog late at night and um, see some people walking home from the bar, which was what inspired that wobbly moon poem. And that is your uh, Saiku for the day, and that is going to be the end of the Rattlecast for today. Now, next week's prompt is going to be right here. When the sun goes down at the county fair. That is next week's prompt, when the sun goes down at the county fair. So write your poems about that um, and uh, enjoy. Now, next week's guest is going to be Jack Riddle. Jack's just a marvelous teacher. He's had, I think um, I think I read in his bio that he's had 85 of his students have become published poets uh, at his work at Hope College. Um, his newest book is St. Peter and the Goldfinch, which I haven't read yet. He's sending that along. But I have um, Practicing to Walk Like a Heron. It's one of my favorite books. It's his uh, new and selected, I think, uh, from about 2013. And I just love that book. I, he's a kind of a, a wise, sage, kind of quiet type poet. And uh, really looking forward to talking to him about poetry. That is Sunday, July 25th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time the usual time and then we will do uh we'll talk to jack riddle we'll have poets respond live at the beginning we'll have open lines at the end like always with your prompt poem when the sun goes down at the county fair thanks again everybody for joining me and do please remember to click the like button especially if you're on youtube because of that false start thing we had we cut off the first few minutes Uh, i didn't get my little spiel out there so uh, make sure you do click the like button and share and all that good stuff no matter where you're watching this right now that really helps things spread around it actually does so please help us out in that way and i'll see you next week with jack rill on rattlecast number 103 have a good night